But let's open the Word of God to Galatians chapter 2 and, Lord willing, for the final time, uh, study verses 15 through 21. The Word of God is so deep, so much for us. God tells us through Paul, as he writes Galatians in chapter 2, verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Father, we come to you now this morning to hear your word, Lord, and to understand your word, and God, to apply your word to our lives and our hearts and minds. But God, our hearts are heavy this morning for those in Israel. God, for those who are under attack, Father, we pray for them. We lift them up to you, Lord. We thank you for the safety that we have this morning so that we can come and we can worship. Father, for those in Israel, Lord, we pray for protection. We pray for safety. Lord, we pray that the attacks would stop, Lord, and that terrorism would stop. God, we know that you use even all of these things for good and for your glory. And God, we can't understand, we can't see, we can't make sense of that, but Father, we trust you because you are good, because you're holy, you're perfect. In all of your ways, you're pure. Father, we trust in you, and Lord, we trust in you for our, not just our physical safety, Lord, and protection, but God, spiritually, Lord, so that we, with heavy hearts of sin, God, can have joy and have peace And Lord, that we can look forward with expectation and anticipation for the return of our Savior. Father, thank you for that truth and thank you for that hope. Father, we pray that that would be real in each of our lives and God, that we would share that hope, the reason for the hope that we have. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would do your work in us as only you can do. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Well, thank you again for being here this morning, and I wanted to thank you also, those who had uh, a part to play in the blood drive this past week where um, people came into our church building and, and saw uh, Christians serving in different ways and in providing um, treats, especially the cookies. The cookies were great. <laughs> All of the different ways that people served and gave, uh, we, we thank you for, for that and how you've served the people in our community and, and served one another. Uh, it is a blessing and it's such a ministry. Thank you for those who came and spoke with those who gave blood and just spent some time with them um, and just, just love them. Even if nobody comes, 
The seed is planted, the love is there, and we're being obedient to be faithful. So thank you. Well, last week we spent a, a pretty good amount of time together in these verses trying to make sure that we all understand that following rules and trying to obey the law is never the way to be justified or to be sanctified. And we remember that justified, mean, to be justified means to be declared righteous, even though we're totally guilty, even though we are sinful and we can't fix ourselves, we can be declared righteous as Jesus was righteous. We're all guilty of sin, so following rules, following more law won't work. Only hope in God through His, because of His grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That is where our hope is. That brings God's declaration of us guilty people as righteous. That's a positional righteousness before God. Sanctification, as we use it normally together, means the practical process where God makes us more like Jesus every day in our everyday life. We're transformed from within when we come to faith in Jesus, when we turn away from our sins, we are made new, we're born again, recreated all over again from inside when we're justified at the moment that that happens. That's what He does within us. And because of that, there is a real change that happens in each of us. But it's never brought about by trying hard and trying harder and trying to be better and be good and be even more and do more and following rules better. And all of that is summed up in a word that we like to use called legalism. Trying really hard to obey, trying really hard to work myself into God's pleasure and acceptance. Now, there's more to legalism, but that's all included in legalism. What we, did not to, what we didn't get to cover last week was the opposite of legalism. And it's, it's, a word that is a, it's a word we don't use very much, but it's the word antinomian, antinomianism. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that word before, but Martin Luther in the Reformation, during the Reformation, coined this term. He put together two Greek words to make this, the, the word anti, which we know what anti means, it's against, and then the word namas, which is the word law. It's, so it's, it's anti-law. And it's, it's carrying this idea of we can't follow rules, we can't follow the law. So let's just do away with it. Let's just get rid of it. Let's pretend that God's law doesn't matter at all. Let's ignore it. Let's throw it out. Reject it. It's, it's useless. It, in fact, uh, to many antinomian preachers or teachers or followers of this idea of antinomianism, the law is harmful. Let's don't ever talk about commandments at all. And so there's more to say about both of those, but both of those extremes are wrong. Legalism and antinomianism are wrong. We don't see them taught in the scriptures. But I want to mention that neither of those extremes are extremes of Christianity. They're not extremes of the gospel, as if we're walking this balance beam of Christianity and on either side we could fall off. No, they're both wrong ways of, of even thinking about what Christianity is. And both of them are so busy thinking about what I'm doing here and what I want to do and what I need to do and, and me and my works and what I get to do or want to do or need to do that you leave Jesus out. Either one of these, in, in antinomianism or legalism, you're, you're thinking about all the things that you get to do here and want to do in, in a licentiousness. I have license to do whatever I want. 
in antinomianism, or I'm thinking about all the things I've got to do. What's my checklist? What's my next step? How do I do it? When do I do it? In legalism, and in both, Jesus is left out. So we've been learning in order to understand this life in the gospel, the, the truth of who we are in Christ, who Christ is, what he's done with us, we've got to stop thinking all these wrong ways that we're so tempted to fall into. We've been studying these verses so that we can learn to think rightly what the gospel is, what the gospel does in our minds, in our hearts, in our life. So we've been studying together. We've seen number one, that although everyone is sinful, anyone can be justified, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. We saw that verses 15 and 16. We started studying the, the second part of this passage, that the justified Christian life then continues only through faith in Jesus Christ, verses 17 through 21. And we're in the middle of studying these verses together. We looked at first that Jesus reveals the truth of sin in verses 17 and 18. He didn't promote sin. He doesn't bring it to us. He shows it to us. And we show it when we try to work our salvation out ourselves. When we try to do works and follow rules, we show that we are sinful, that we're transgressors. But in verses 19 to 21 that we're studying now, Jesus is the one who enables this life of faith. He's the one that brings the faith to us. He's the one that works in us to grow this faith. How does this work? Well, we need to think biblically, think rightly. And we saw last week when we need to, number one, you you need to consider yourself dead to the law. Now, we're not going to rehash everything that we said last week about this, but we are dead to following rules. We can't do it. We can't obey God's law perfectly. Trying to obey his his law to be justified or sanctified doesn't work. He says, don't do that. Uh, All it does is steal our joy. It will rob us of any kind of peace between ourselves and God or between ourselves and other people because we're always constantly comparing, how are you doing with your rules? (laughs) What kind of rules do you have? How come you're not doing my rules? It just robs us of any joy or peace and it doesn't work. Why? Well, because we can't fix any of that through our works. This truth needs to be learned that we are dead to the law. Secondly, in verse 19, we saw that we are alive to God. Even though we're dead to the law, we've been made alive to God in Christ Jesus. And we looked last week at how we were dead to God in our sins and alive to the law. That was a really bad place to be. Dead in our sins, dead to God, alive to the law. But in Christ, we die to the law. And that's a good thing because then he makes us alive to God, just as Jesus is alive to God. That's explained more fully in Romans chapter 6, and it's implied here in Galatians 2. But even though that's the truth of what's already happened, we need to believe these truths. We need to know these and believe these and live these out. This this is faith. This is what faith is and what it looks like to, to know the truth and to believe the truth, to speak it and live it out. Well, the next truth that we need to know that that grows our faith and that helps us to understand this life in the gospel and our life of the gospel is number three, beginning in verse 20, that you need to consider yourself, believer, crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. Now, we already talked about how we're dead to the law, right? We've already already gone over that. We're dead to the law. We cannot follow the law as our rule. It's, It's not our measure of performance. It doesn't give us instructions for how to obey, right? It comes with the punishment that for our wrong, Jesus fulfilled the whole law, but he died to the law 
because my sins required death. So Jesus took my sins and he took my death. He fulfilled the law. He gave me his righteousness so that rather than being excluded from God's grace, I can be given God's grace to justify me with Jesus' righteousness so I can be saved. So then what does it mean here, since we've already talked about that, that we're dead to the law? What does it mean here that we're crucified with Christ? It's because the part of us that was alive to the law and the part that dies to the law as we're made alive in Christ is the sin nature. It's our old nature. Now, if you would, hold your place here in Galatians, but turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So you can understand, you can see this, and, and we, can, we can see how this works and what it looks like in our life in 2 Corinthians 5. And then we'll begin reading in verse uh, 14. And how this is explained to us. This, this sin nature, this old nature. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. And that's so important. As, as we continue on, as, as we see later, that's going to be crucial for us. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded the, this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. We died with Christ. Our old self died with Christ. We were crucified with him. And he died for all. Why? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So we don't, we don't live now for ourselves any longer. We live for him who died for us and who rose again. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, in Christ, when we repent, when we believe, again, that's that same thing. We, we turn away from sin. We turn to Christ. When we repent and we believe, God makes us new. Again, that's when we're born again. We're recreated, regenerated. That's what it means. Verse 17 says that the old part of us, what happened to it? passed away. It's gone. You may have heard the teaching that says, well, you know, we Christians, we, we're really, we mean our, we mean well, you know, we try really hard, but we still have our old self. We still have that, that old part of us, the old nature that drags us down and back into sin. But that goes against what this passage says, doesn't it? The old nature has gone away. It's passed away. We don't have the old sin nature with us anymore. It's missing. It's been replaced with a new nature, a new born-again creation. Verse 18 of, of 2 Corinthians 5 there says, all this is from God. <laughs> this is God's work in us. See, this is why the change from the gospel in us is so drastic. It's like the difference between someone who's dead and someone who's alive. It's just like that because that's the truth of what happened. <laughs> we were dead in our sins before God, and then he makes us alive. What that means, brother and sister, Christian, follower of Christ, is that we no longer have to sin. We no longer are just sinners anymore. We were dead spiritually. We were apart from Jesus. We could do nothing, he says, right? Even our righteousnesses were as filthy rags. Romans 3, there's none righteous. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. All of those things, right? That was our nature. We sinned because we were sinners, that's what sinners do. They sin. But now in Christ, our old nature dies and it passes away and it's replaced with a new nature, 
a new creation that's alive to God. It's a new nature that loves God, that loves our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as he said, to love him is to obey his commandments. But we no longer want to sin, and we no longer have to sin as those who have been born again, made new all over again. That's what he says. We live for him who for our sake died and was raised. Now we live for him. That's what our new nature desires. Our old nature wanted to please ourselves. Our new nature wants to please the Lord. It seeks to please him. Because that's the truth, that's what we need to hear and understand. You say, so then why do we still sin? <laughs> what? If I'm a Christian and this is true, then why do I still sin? We still sin, brother and sister, because we still have the capability of sinning. <laughs> we still mess up. Even though we don't have to only sin like before, now we have the ability to do good, but we didn't lose the ability to sin. There's still something about us that's drawn back to sin, back to the works of the law, back to this world. You know, we like to ask the question sometimes about Adam and Eve. You know, why did they ever have to sin? <laughs> it just got passed down to all of us. Why did they ever do that? Catch this, brother and sister. <laughs> Listen. They had the ability to obey and they had the ability not to obey. They chose sin for the same reasons that we believers choose sin. We who don't have to sin any longer, we who have the ability to believe and to obey and to not obey, the same reasons. We're in a similar situation to where Adam and Eve were when they were given the ability to obey and they had the ability not to obey. They were either deceived, as in the case of Eve, or they chose intentionally, as in the case of Adam, and they desired something other than God and other than what God had for them. In other words, Adam and Eve sinned because they wanted to. And that's the reason that we sin also. We have something in us that desires something other than God and other than what God has for us. And so we go out to try to find it in ourselves or in this world and in sin and all that the world has to offer. There's something in Adam and Eve. There's something as there is in us that desires something other than what God says what God is. Now, there's been confusion among Christians because our English translations have kind of muddied the waters a bit in, in the, the variety of terms and the words that describe this part of us, whatever this part of us is. People talk about the sin nature, the old man, the old self. They talk about the flesh, and it, it, it's been a big debate on what to call it. Why is it such a big deal? Well, again, it comes down to how do we live this out? If I have this old sin nature, does that mean that I can just let it be sinful? Because it doesn't matter what I do. I can't fix it. There's nothing that can, I can do about it. It's just going to sin and sin and sin. So just let it go. Or does this mean that, well, I have this sin nature, but I've got to beat it into submission and I've got to try harder and I've got to punish myself when I sin and, and I can't let it get out of control. I've got to bind it all up and, and, and make myself obey. Those two extremes of antinomianism and legalism. Th this is why it's such a big deal. But what's the answer? Well, it can't be that we still have our old nature 2 Corinthians 5 was clear about that. Galatians 2 is clear about that. We're dead to the law. We're crucified with Christ. It's gone and replaced. I mean, by the way, think about crucifixion. I mean, what was the point of crucifixion? There was, there was shame. There was pain, unimaginable pain and, and shame that went along with it. But the goal was death. That's how we're to consider ourselves crucified, dead, as Christ was and with Christ. 
It was successfully carried out on Jesus. It was just as successful in killing our old nature and in killing us, the part of us that was crucified with him. It's gone. We still have, the Bible calls them fleshly desires. And to me, in my preference, my opinion, that's the best word for this part of us that still desires sin is the flesh. It's our fleshly part of us. That's the term often used in the scriptures. But we have to be careful that we don't just think, well, then anytime we see the word flesh in the scripture, that's talking about our sinful self. Because even here in Galatians 2 verse 20, you look at, at our verse here, back in Galatians, I was still in 2 Corinthians, <laughs> back in Galatians where he says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. In this context, this just means our daily life, in our, our physical life. So, so we have to make sure we don't make the mistake of of pigeonholing words and just using them one way all the time when the Bible doesn't do that. But many people have gotten hung up. What do we call this? What do we call this part of us that that wants to sin and and that wants to drag us back into the world? We need to understand it's it's not our old self. It's not our old sinful self that had complete control of us before. So that all we did as sinners was sin. Now we have this new creation where we don't have to sin. And we don't have to remain in sin. We're new creatures, creatures with a new life, a new creation with a new identity in Christ. Here's the bottom line. Not only are we dead to, our, to the law, our old self is dead to everything else as well. No longer are we intimately connected with this world. No longer are we following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We're no longer sons of disobedience. We're sons of God, sons of righteousness. Because we're dead to the law and we're alive to God, we're crucified with Christ, we need to believe that, Christian. We need to understand that. When we struggle with sin, we cannot turn to works or man's philosophy or anything else in this world to address it. That means we can't say things like, well, I sinned, but I can't help it. It's just my personality. That's just who I am. No, that's who we were. You can help it now because the power of God is within you. We are dead to the law. We're dead to the world. We're dead to following rules, but we're alive to God. It denies who we are that we're born again, recreated, remade. We can't just say, oh, I know it was a sin, but it's just a bad habit. Habits can be broken. Habits and sin needs to be broken within us. It's when we don't believe that that's possible. It's when we don't believe the truth that we fall into it and we repeat it and we go over it and make it a habit. We can't say, brother and sister, oh, it's in my genes. It's my DNA. We can't say, well, it's my parents' fault. You know, we can't blame our parents because newsflash, none of us had perfect parents, right? We don't get to blame our environment, Brothers and sisters, we don't get to blame our past. We don't get a free pass that the world tries to use to excuse sin and call it anything else. 
We recognize sin as sin. Yes, I may have had this or that type of personality, or, and maybe I still have this or that type of personality. And maybe I was drawn to certain kind of sins before. Maybe I've got bad habits. Maybe I do have DNA that pushes me towards something or, or pulls me towards some other kind of sin. I, I didn't have perfect parents. You know, the things that happened to people in the past are awful. They're terrible. They're traumatic. They're, they're, they're awful. And living in this sinful world, it was evil. It was terrible. But sin is not excused by any of that. The old self is gone. I have been crucified with Christ. This is not theoretical. This is not irrelevant theology as if there is such a thing. This is the truth of what happens to a person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, that we are changed from within. This is the power of the gospel, the power of God in the gospel in our hearts and minds. So we need to hear this. We need to know this. We need to believe this. And we need to live this out. Don't just give mental assent to this and say, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds like what the Bible says. It is what the Bible says. So now let's believe it. Let's hold on to it and live it out. This means when I feel drawn toward sin, I don't have to fall for it. I don't need to fall into sin. I I don't need to sin. I don't need worldly answers for how to stop sinning. I don't need man's answers for spiritual problems that are in my heart, that are in my mind. It doesn't work to bring about either justification or sanctification. Believers, we understand that just as dead as we are to the law, following rules and law that we can't follow properly, we are dead to the world, Galatians 6, 14 says. We're dead to the elemental spirits of the world, Colossians 2, 20 says. We are dead to sin, Romans 6, 11 says. We are dead to self, right here in Galatians. We're crucified with Christ. And hopefully this isn't news to us because Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. These are the truths we need to understand and believe because this is how Christ enables this life of faith. This life in the gospel, because of the gospel, we're alive to God. We're crucified with Christ and we live to him. There's another truth that we need to hear and know and believe. Number four, in verse 20, you need to consider yourself Christ's dwelling place. We are Christ's dwelling place. He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. How does Jesus enable this life of faith? By living inside of us. He lives it out in us. The Son of God lives in us. Now, he does not come barging in and taking over like the demons did in Jesus' time where they would come into a person and and they would control them and tell them what to say and what to do and and just anything that the the demon said the person had to do. Jesus doesn't come in that way. Instead, we've got to know that we ourselves are dead to the law and the world and the flesh, but alive because Jesus lives within us. We can't do anything apart from Jesus. All we did before him was, was sin. All we do apart from Jesus is, is miss the mark and, and go too far and, and commit all kinds of sin. Instead, now he himself lives in us. The life we live is because he lives in us. But what does that mean that he lives in us and, and dwells in us? The way that he puts it in John 15 is that he abides in us or with us. So if you want, you can turn to John 15 with me. Or just stay here in Galatians because we'll be right back here. But this is what Jesus says in John 15. 
In verse 1, he says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, there's, again, so much in here. We could, we could go for weeks just on these verses. But he, he, Jesus continues, already you are clean. Why? How are, how are people clean? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And that's what we talked about, the the horrifying thought of being under God's punishment, God's just punishment forever. We're going to abide in Christ so that we're not part of those branches that get cut off and thrown into the fire to burn. But here's where it is. Verse 7, here's where he explains what it is for him to abide in us. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So Christ abiding in you and me, brother and sister in Christ, follower of Jesus, abiding is equated with hearing his word and his word remaining in us, in our mind and hearts. That's what it looks like for Jesus to remain, to live, to dwell in us. It's what we've been talking about all along. The word of God living in us. The the living word of God incarnate, Jesus himself, the son of God. So we've got to stop living for the world, living for sin, living for the flesh, stop caving to those desires to either perform or not do anything. We're not letting go and letting God. We're not asking Jesus take the wheel. And it's also not up to me to do any of this. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. His presence with us remains in us and with us through his word. And that's encouraging because here it is. <laughs> Praise the Lord that he hasn't hidden it from us. Like we have to climb a mountain or we have to cross an ocean or we have to go searching for it. He's given it to us. He's given it to us in our language. What a blessing this is. Here's the most encouraging part of this. If, if that's not enough, <laughs> Christ lives in us. We know from Romans 6 that Christ will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. If Christ dwells in us, believer, if he could die, if he could die again, then we could die again. But if Christ, who can never die again, lives in us, and he is alive with us and dwells in us, then we also can never die spiritually. We may taste physical death, but we will never be let go. We will never die because Christ is in us. Think about that. Consider yourself as Christ's dwelling place. He lives in us as his word lives in us. This is is not irrelevant theology. This is not words on a page, dry, dull, boring. This is amazing truth from God, the grace of God that gives us life. We've been killed to the law. We are dead to the world, but we're alive to God because Christ is alive in us. Number five, the next truth we need to understand and believe and grow in is that we need to consider ourselves alive by faith in Jesus. That's verse 20. The life I now live in the flesh, rather than this life being all about the flesh, it, the physical, what can be seen and measured, I live by faith in the Son of God. 
We live every day of this life of faith by faith. Not by what we can see and not by what we can measure and, and, and perform to or, or the lack of it. Think about your physical life. How often we live by what we cannot see. How long can you live, for instance, without food? Physically, without food, how long can you live? Well, some people have said, you know, if you're healthy and you don't do anything, you could go up to 70 days without food. I would never want to try that. (laughs) But the rule of threes in survival says you can go without food about three weeks. How long can you live without water? Again, the general consensus, according to the rule of threes, is about three days without water. How long can you live without shelter in a harsh environment? The rule of three says three hours. Do you see how it's getting shorter? <laughs> three, three weeks without food, three days without water, three hours without shelter. How long can you live without oxygen? Three, four, five, some people even up to six minutes. We need food to live. We need water. We need shelter. We need these things that we can see. We need these things that we can measure. And these things are necessary. But we live minute by minute by the oxygen that we can't even see. In our life of faith, brother and sister, we don't live by what we see, our works or lack thereof, but what we cannot see. We live by faith. We know the truth. We know that Jesus is alive. We know that even though we can't see him, he's there. He is here. And we believe, and so we live. The the faith that we live by is not faith in just faith itself. It's not just faith in believing anything, you know, as long as you're sincere, the world teaches, right? It's faith in Jesus. But how is he named here in this verse? Is is he just called Jesus, which is a, a precious name? He's called the Son of God. The Son of God means Jesus, who is of the same substance as God, because He is God, the one who is equal with God, eternal as God, powerful as God. Even though He's not God the Father, He is God as well. He has a special, unique relationship with God the Father as His Son. This is the one that we have with us, who is alive within us. As the God, the Son, the Son of God, Paul says two more things about him here, two more descriptions of him here. The one that our faith is in, the one that we live by faith in, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved me. Paul says, Paul says, the Son of God that loved me, the one that he recognizes as the chief of sinners. How is this possible? This is a full stop, shocking reality. Uh, to Paul, uh, how, did, how would this ever happen? How could we ever believe it? The holy God of the universe loves us mortal, sinful, little rebellious creatures. <laughs> the heaven of heavens cannot contain God. The earth is his footstool. Yet he looks at each of us and cares for us and loves us. This is, this is amazing for God to love people. And his love is on display throughout the world every day as he The sun comes up in the morning and goes down at night, and we understand that's the the earth rotating, but the earth is still rotating. It's still going around the sun as well. There's food and there's water. There's there's heat and warmth. We see the the seasons changing. We know that he's in charge of all of that. He brings it about, the water, the food, the clothing, the oxygen that we breathe. That's all from him. That's his love on display, but there's an even greater love that was displayed that proved his love to us, and that is the second part that Jesus gave himself for me. 
The one who is the son of God, he never stopped being God, but he became man for me. He voluntarily set aside the use of his divine attributes for me while he was a man. He humbled himself in that way. He became a man, even a lowly man, the form of a servant, the Bible says. That's how Jesus came. And he gave up the continual praise from the angels. He gave up perfect fellowship with his Father in heaven while he was here on earth. And then on the cross, he gave up his perfect righteousness where he loved others more than himself and he loved God most of all. He took all of that and he gave up his earned reward of righteousness to give it to me so that he could take my sin and pay my punishment, absorbing God's wrath for me. He gave me that righteousness. He did that all because he loved me. Life, we live in the flesh. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. This this Son of God is worthy of my life, worthy of your life. He deserves that. He's given his four hours, so we forsake all to follow him because in him we gain what this entire world could never give us. Put together the blessing of the presence of Jesus forever. So we think differently. We, we live differently. We live by faith in the Son of God. N- not the things that we think from this world, not the things that the world teaches us, not the things that that our flesh wants, that part of us that does desire still to be like the world. We think apart from all that. We think what God tells us is the truth. We live by that faith. So we consider ourselves dead to the law. We consider ourselves alive to God, crucified with Christ. We are Christ's dwelling place. We're alive by faith in Jesus. All of this is the truth already, brothers and sisters. We just need to learn it and know it and believe it. But there's a final one here in verse 21, number six. We consider ourselves not nullifying God's grace and Christ's death. We don't nullify God's grace and Christ's death. Verse 21. Those are, those are together. God's grace comes to us because of Christ's death. Now remember those, we, you may remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about four arguments that were being made in this passage. Four reasons that, that they were saying to, to Paul and to the other Galatians and the other believers, look, you, you can't believe this gospel that Paul's got. You can't believe this gospel of Jesus that, that he's talking about because number one, that means you're mixing God's chosen people with God's not chosen people, with sinners, Number two, you're making Christ a servant of sin or a promoter of sin. You can't do that. Number three, this gospel teaches God's chosen people just to live in continual sin, verses 19 to 20. And they said the last argument, you're throwing away God's grace in verse 21. Those were the arguments they were making. Those were what were persuading people to get away from this gospel. Those verses have all been destroyed. Those arguments are gone. They're out the window, except this last one that we're looking at now. The claim was that when you teach people, don't live by rules, don't live by trying to obey the law, well, then you're teaching them that this is cheap. You're making it too easy. I don't have to do anything to get this. Then it's not worth anything, people would say. You're throwing away God's grace. No, it, it's worth Jesus and it's worth our soul because it does cost us what we have in this world. It does cost us the love of this world. It does cost us being a part of this world and being a son of disobedience. (laughs) But it doesn't give us anything. Jesus paid it all. 
Remember that God's grace to us to save us is unearned. It's unmerited. That's why he gets all the praise and all the glory for saving a sinner like me. It's not nullifying God's grace to say that I can't earn it. If I say I earn it, that's nullifying his grace. That's when I say it's not grace, it's, I, I've, it's mine by right, right? I've earned it, if I can do it through works. Since we can't earn it, God gives it, it's his grace. And if I could earn it, then why in the world would Jesus ever have to come and die so that I could be saved? He would have died for no reason if I could achieve it on my own. The very fact that I am unable to work hard enough to to earn it proves that it's God's grace in Christ's death. It's only because of Christ's death in my place that I can receive God's grace to save me, to, to justify me, which is to declare me righteous, to sanctify me, to change me toward righteousness, and then one day to glorify me when he decides to make me righteous in his presence. So think this way, Christian. Constantly remind yourself to think in these ways. I'm not going to set up rules. I'm not going to set up laws to make myself holier. I'm not going to try hard and try harder and and just waste all of my energy trying to do what I can never do. Constantly trying to beat myself into submission. Punishing myself when I've messed up. God does not call us to that life. Brother and sister, that's what all other religions teach. Beat yourself into submission. Make yourself obey. Make yourself do this. That either leads to just us living it up. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Nothing matters. (laughs) Or it leads to be a better human. Be a better person. Be a better devoted follower. Be a better worshiper of, of these false gods. Work harder. Try harder. Be more. Do better. Both of these are off track. Both of them are wrong. They're both wrong thinking. Instead, we're going to think in these ways, I can't do it. When I try to do it, all I do is prove that I'm a sinner, that I'm a transgressor, so I'm going to just hold fast to my Savior. I will love Him. I will love Him because He first loved me, and He gave Himself for me, so I will live for Him. He said, though, when, I, when we love Him, we will keep His commandments. We're going to obey Him. Matthew 11, come to me, Jesus said, all who labor and are heavy laden, that, that burden of sin, that yoke of sin, the works that you're trying to do, that you're, you're laboring under, you're heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest, Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from the Savior, learn from his word. Why? For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's not saying, come to me and don't do anything. He's saying, learn from me. There is a yoke, there is a burden, but it's easy and it's light compared to that impossible burden of sin and of trying to work ourselves into holiness. 1 John 5, 3 agrees when God tells us this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. When all of this is true in our hearts and minds, we will not be following law. We will not be following rules. We'll be following our Lord. We will follow and love the Lord our God, our Savior. We'll do what pleases Him. We'll look for how to follow Him and obey Him. We'll do what pleases Him. You say, now wait a minute. <laughs> because this whole time you have said, don't follow the law and don't follow rules and don't do these commandments because you can't. Now you're telling me that when I love him, I'm going to be following these rules. <laughs> Isn't it going to look the same thing on the outward side? It will probably look the same. 
Because that outward side only, that legalism side, is a counterfeit. And the counterfeit's always trying to look like the real thing. It's going to probably look the same from the outside. But the legalism will fail. It will never be the same. You will know the difference in yourself. Jesus said you'll be able to to see the fruit. Sometimes it's possible even to see it in others. Jesus saw right through the righteousness of the Pharisees. So the question that you may be asking then is, well, then how? How can I tell the difference? We've got a few ways here listed in your notes. There are probably more. But what's the difference between the faith working in us and and loving our Lord and obeying Him and just trying really hard to obey and really trying to do a bunch of good works and really trying to obey all the rules? We said every distortion either begins or contains that error. Obey, obey, do, work, work, try. What's the difference? Here are some of the ways. We can't spend a lot of time on these, unpacking these, but I'll I'll give them to you with a little bit of comment, some scripture, and then you can study these and you can consider these. And maybe you find that I'm wrong and you say, look, you were wrong here. And and then I'll come up and apologize. But otherwise, these, we, we, we search the scriptures to find out, how can I tell if my works that are done in the faith or works from faith rather than from my flesh? The first one is that works done in faith are represented in scripture. They're represented in the scriptures. We're not coming up with extra rules. You know, Revelation 22, we have the verses there. We could add Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. We don't add anything to God's word. We're not adding any kind of rules and any kind of laws that God doesn't say. God's law is already perfect. So we're not taking anything away and we're not adding anything to it. Nothing else we come up with would ever be as perfect as God's law is. Now, this doesn't mean that we only do the things listed in Scripture, but all that's represented in the Scriptures. We're not coming up with different ideas, different rules and enforcing them on ourselves or let alone on other people. We might have some tools. One of the questions that people ask is, what about tools? You know, I want to keep my mind pure when I'm on the computer or when I'm on my phone. So what about Covenant Eyes or Custodio or or these other programs? What, What about these tools? Well, it's not wrong to use those because they are tools for us. But when people try to use those as the rule, look, I'm within the guidelines of this rule. That's when we've gone off track. That's when it's a work done by the flesh rather than a work in faith. Remember Colossians 2.23, we looked at last week. The things that we do in the flesh, the things that we are doing and the rules that we're following are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So we can have tools that we, that we use to try to, try to remind us and, and keep us on track, but they're not rules that we're trying to follow to obey God and grow in our sanctification and holiness. It doesn't work. That's not how we do it. So the tools are okay, but the rules we come up with are out. We're doing what's represented in Scripture, what, what the Lord tells us to do. He says, you'll, when you love me, you'll obey my commandments, not someone else's. Next, works done in faith rather than the flesh, are not recorded. We don't record the things that I've done. There's no expectation of a reward after I've done what I needed to do. I've met these laws. I've met these rules. I've done these things. There are rewards that God will graciously give us, but we're not doing them expecting God. God, since I've done this, you now owe me that. 
You remember the Pharisee in Luke 18 that Jesus talked about. He had his, he had his record, you know, thanks God that I'm not like this sinner over here. Thanks God I'm not like him. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I have. And he depended on his works. And Jesus said he did not go home justified. So we don't list out all the good works. You know, we, we don't have them ready. As, you know, what are you questioning me for? I come to church every week and I read my Bible and I pray for this and I did that and I give. And, you know, how could you ever come to me and ask me about sin? When we record them, we can list them out. They're ready on the tip of our tongue and we, we can just give them to people. We don't check the record to see whether I have to do something. The scriptures say to love one another, to bear with one another, but... You know, it doesn't say I have to <laughs> care about you. It doesn't. No, it does. <laughs> what we're not looking for, because we're not recording all of our works, we're not looking for what's the least amount I can do. What's the bare amount, the bare minimum, so I can just get in? Does it say I have to do that? That's, that's not love-motivated, faith-based, living the gospel for life. That's legalism, Right? So, so we're not listing, we're not recording our works and comparing them against others. Next, our works done in faith are not the reason for our assurance that we belong to the Lord, not, not the reason alone that we belong to the Lord. You remember the people before Jesus in Matthew 7, they came to Jesus, they said, Lord, Lord, Lord we, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did mighty works in your name. They had everything listed out. Look at all the things that we did, Lord. Jesus said to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Our works should never be the sole reason that we have hope that we're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Our assurance is based on the living truth of Jesus. Evidence of that comes out in our works. And that can give us encouragement. That can give us hope. But what we do is never the sole reason for our assurance. Next, the works done in faith rather than the works done in the flesh are rooted in others' benefit. It's rooted in others' benefit. It's a sacrifice not for myself. You remember Philippians 2, the, the, the mind of Christ that we have that considered others more significant than ourselves. You know, I'm not looking for the least that I can do, but how much can I do for the other person, for one another, for my brothers and sisters? We can hear the, when, we're, when we're going wrong, when we say things like, well, I deserve this because look what I have, look what I've done, look what I didn't do. I deserve, I should be able to, those, those kinds of statements. We can hear it from ourselves. Next, works done in faith rather than the flesh are a response of love to God. They're a response of love to God. You can see whether you're living the gospel for life when God's commandments cause joy to your heart, your soul, your mind. When you love the word of God, when you love his commandments, you can say, Psalm 119.97, oh, how I love your law. Rather than frustration, rather than stealing our joy, the commandments teach us how to love him. The commandments show us what it is to love the Lord our God. They don't teach us how to be perfect in ourselves because we can't. We know that now. We're dead to the law. We're dead to the world. But when we're alive to God and he loved us first, we love him back. And that looks like these commandments that he's given us. You have the, the verses there in 1 John for the sake of time. We won't go through those. But read through those. This is the love of God that we obey his commands. 
Finally, works done in faith rather than in the flesh are to result in the glory of God. There's a result in the glory of God, not, not ourselves. It doesn't bring us glory. Jesus said people are supposed to see your good works and they're supposed to glorify your Father in heaven. They're supposed to recognize that that's his work. So be careful with these. Again, there are probably more, but you can convince yourself that you're passing all of these tests. Oh, I got all this down. We're so persuasive with ourselves. It simply comes down to not learning to love obedience. Learn to love the Lord, which brings obedience. No rule can ever bring joy. You know, when I follow a rule, it can bring some immediate satisfaction in my own efforts, my own achievements, but it is utterly useless. It doesn't bring anything else. These are the truths that we need to know and to learn and to grow in. This is how our faith is able to grow this life of faith for the glory of God. Father, we praise you, Lord. We thank you for this truth. Lord, this truth of Jesus Christ, the living truth. God, thank you for the life we have in him. Father, we didn't even know that we were dead in our trespasses and sins until you told us, until you showed us that and taught us. And Lord, it was your grace to teach us that so that we would be fearful that we would be afraid, that we wouldn't know where to turn so that we would turn to you and cry out to you for your mercy and grace. And God, you freely give it to us because of Jesus. Father, thank you for the truth. Lord, I pray that this truth would be alive and real in each one of the hearts and minds of the people here. God, that we would live this out, the gospel for life, Father. This would not be words on a page. It wouldn't be a habit of of things that we just do and and things that we can just spit out at, at random, Father, but these would be the life, the living words of God our Savior. Father, that this would bring encouragement and this would bring hope, Father, that this would bring about the change that you work out in us with a faith that comes from you, a faith that's grown because of you, Oh God, what a Savior we have. Father, thank you. We lift up the name of our Savior, and Father, we look forward to his return. God, would he come quickly? Would you send him, Lord, to bring us to you? Would you remove from us our sin? God, that we can praise you forever with no more sin and no more tears, no more worries. But God, true hope, true peace, true joy, being in your presence and in the presence of our Savior Jesus. Oh God, thank you. In his name we pray, amen.